Hello, and welcome to another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. And today we're going to be talking about something that uh, I really enjoy and uh, think is uh, maybe not quite as well understood as it uh, could be or should be. And that is uh, the meaning of not to exceed. Uh, what is it? What's a not to exceed price? Uh, why is it so important? Uh, how do you calculate it? And what kind of flexibility do you really have with a not to exceed number? Um, so that's uh, going to be our topic for today. Uh, hope you uh, enjoy it. We have lots of great material uh, in addition to uh, this topic available for you on this podcast channel uh, that you can take advantage of, as well as webinars and other uh, learning materials at the Learning Center at marapoling.com. That is M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, I encourage you to stop by, uh, take a look at some of the materials there. Uh, if you have questions about anything we talk about today, feel free to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. And with that, let's, um, let's dive in. So not to exceed, uh, I, I got to tell you, this topic came from uh, a little pet peeve that I, uh, that I have. Uh, when I watch these um, these TV shows, uh, you know, sitting in the evening, trying to relax a little bit, and one of these uh, shows comes on where they're flipping houses. Uh, now, I'm not a house flipper. We're not in the house flipping business. Uh, we're real estate investors uh, on a long-term basis. Uh, but it's enjoyable watching these. And one of the things I find quite comical is the individual or individuals involved uh, we'll go into the purchase of an asset uh, with a number in mind, maybe $250,000. That's their, that's the number they're going to pay for this property. And almost every single time they end up paying 260, 270, 280, and they act as though it's a good deal. Now this is quote unquote reality TV. So uh, I get that. Uh, there's a, a drama uh, element that, uh, that the producers are trying to create in this show. It does leave everyone, though, with the idea that, well, gee, this not to exceed number stuff really isn't uh, a big deal. Uh, and we're of a mind at Mara Polling that it absolutely is. So uh, what is not to exceed? When we do an underwrite, and I would encourage all of you out there, whether you're investing with a firm like Mara Polling uh, and are looking to understand their acquisition process, or whether you're doing an acquisition on your own, buying a single family rental or a fourplex or something like that, uh, that you understand uh, what the not to exceed uh, methodology is uh, and have your own, again, if you're, uh, you're going to be investing in your own properties. What not to exceed is, is the highest possible price you can pay to acquire an asset that allows you to, based on all the assumptions that you've made, uh, and we would suggest conservative assumptions, that based on all of those assumptions, still provides you with performance that is consistent with your objectives, such that if you paid $1 more, that that would be, that would break, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, so if you've done the math on a single family rental 
and $270,000 is the most you can pay and the price goes north of 270, well, then you're going to drop out. Uh, we do that routinely. Uh, we calculate not only target prices for our assets. Maybe I want to buy an asset at $10.1 million. That's where it really works well for us. But I may have a not to exceed number at 10.5 because it'll still really work well at 10.5, not as well as 10.1. 10.1 maybe is where I think I can get it. I could go possibly as high as 10.5. Uh, and I'm not going to go above 10.5. So it is a not to exceed number. It is a barrier. Uh, calculated in advance, non-emotional, data-based, uh, driven by your underwrite, which we've talked about previously in some of our other uh, sessions. So what's the big deal? Why is it so important to have this? Well, um, when you're doing the investigation of an asset, uh, and again, I'll talk about what we do, but this would be applicable for those of you that are looking to do this work on your own. Uh, when you're doing the investigation of an asset, you're going to look at all sorts of things. You're going to look at the submarket that it's in, the uh, uh, maintenance uh, of the asset, how well it's been maintained. Uh, you'll be looking at what the rents are versus uh, what the rents of the competitive assets are. Therefore, you can get an idea of what sort of improvements could be made to uh, to gain and drive additional rent, which would drive additional operating income, therefore driving not only cash flow, but an increase in value on a commercial asset. Uh, and you're going to be getting excited about all of that. It's going to be, wow, great. This is this is hitting the marks. It's I'm checking my boxes off. And as data-oriented as we are at Mara Polling, you can't help but get excited when you get closer and closer to having every box checked. And that can be exciting, and it can also be a trap. And the trap is that you begin to fall in love with the asset to the point that, well, I have to have this. And you don't have to have it. What you have to have is a good deal. And if you don't have a good deal, it doesn't matter how much you liked that asset, you, it isn't going to work. Uh, one of the ways that we uh, approach this is uh, to help us uh, not fall into that trap is to approach every acquisition with the mindset that this asset isn't going to work. And our job from the moment we begin to look at the asset as a potential acquisition until we have gone through the entire due diligence and vetting process is we are looking for that hidden reason that's the reason why this is a bad deal that we're going to walk away. We are trying to find an excuse to not do this. Uh, you know, it's like uh, when you're a kid and your mom says you've got to eat your liver and onions, you're looking for every excuse in the world not to eat that. Same thing here. What's our excuse going to be for not buying this asset? And so we're going to look at every single element we we can. Uh, and price obviously figures, uh, figures into that. So when you do your underwrite, uh, you're going to come up with this not to exceed number. And if you do exceed it, well, now you've fallen into that trap where you're going to end up with an asset that's going to be um, more challenging to manage in terms of achieving the performance and quite likely an asset that actually can't be managed, that'll be outside of the envelope so much that there is no way to achieve 
uh, the objective that you've set out. So, um, so I've mentioned a couple of times the underwrite, which is the way that you that you calculate this. Uh, so again, here's how we do it. Uh, if you are looking to invest with a firm like Mara Polling, one of the questions you should be asking, and our clients ask us this, and this is information we provide them on each of our acquisitions, is uh, show me the underwrite. I'd, I'd like to see what the assumptions are, uh, how much we've paid for the asset, uh, what we think the rent growth is going to look like, what we think vacancy is going to look like over time, what we think expense uh, is going to look like, what kind of reserves are we managing, and so on and so on and so on. And I want to be able to understand all of those those items. Uh, those assumptions are what ultimately drive your not to exceed number. So if um, if we were aggressive and assumed that um, in, in the market, maybe there's a $100 differential between our current rents and the competitive rents. If we assumed not that we would get the 100, but that we could actually get $150 of rent improvement, that would be a really aggressive assumption. Maybe we make a similarly aggressive assumption on occupancy and on the cost of capital improvements and so on. It is completely possible that that underwrite would accurately reflect what's going to happen. The odds on that being the case are really small, might be only 20% or 10% or even 5% likelihood that that happens. If you actually picked the $100 and all the other numbers that are kind of in the middle, you're sort of in that 50-50 mode. And as we've talked about previously regarding underwriting, we like to play more on the 80-20 end where there's a 20% chance that we're too high and an 80% chance that we've been too conservative. Uh, so again, using the $100 rent example, uh, rent differential, uh, we might underwrite uh, $60 or 65 or 70, something in that neighborhood. So we're um, under targeting. That doesn't mean that's the guidance we're gonna give our on-site teams or that we aren't gonna put plans together to, to go get every bit of the $100. We simply financially are not counting on it. So after you've done all of that work from an assumptive standpoint, your underwrite is going to be at a place where it'll tell you what kind of cash return you're going to have, what kind of equity growth you're going to see, uh, any principal reduction that you'd experience, uh, and so on. Uh, and if, um, again, I'll, I'll use the $10 million example I used earlier. So if this is an asset that um, is on the market uh, and it's available for $10 million, uh, first thing we'd do is we'd plug in the 10 million. Well, let's see how it performs at the price that they say they want it for. And generally it's either that's not going to work for us or it's a price that we look at and say, yeah, it's not bad, but it could be better. But that might be a place that we would start. We would then begin to look at um, the price in terms of how we might uh, optimize it. And we'd begin to look at things like cap rates and uh, the historical performance of the asset and so on to get a better sense of what the price might be that we would ultimately think we would offer. And we may ultimately come up, for example, with uh, on this $10 million property that someone's trying to sell, we might come up with a number of nine and a half million as that's really our target number at nine and a half million. It performs uh, satisfactorily. It does what we need it to do. We think that's a reasonable offer giving the history of the asset uh, and uh, what's still required to get it to, uh, to where it needs to perform. Uh, and so that may be the neighborhood that we begin our negotiations in. 
We're also going to do the calculation, though, to determine what the not to exceed number is. And we have parameters, and you should have them as well. Or if, again, you're investing with someone like us, you should understand what parameters they're using. Uh, there are parameters, uh, we call it the strike zone, right, uh, in which an asset needs to fit to be um, consistent with the goals of the investment we have. Now, uh, our MARA polling total return fund, which is the current uh, opportunity that people have to be able to work with this, is, uh, is a conservative fund that's focused on stability and security in addition to generating uh, tax advantage cash flow and equity growth. That stability and security portion, though, comes from having a relatively small strike zone, if you will. Um, we're not looking for home runs. We're not looking for substantial returns, large returns. Um, but we also aren't going to accept a 4% cash return or a, an IRR that's single digits. Uh, that's too uh, conservative uh, for us. So we have some uh, targets that we expect to hit. Uh, and when we see uh, the price as it inches up, when we get to the edge of the strike zone, right? When we're getting to the point where, you know what, the, the cash return isn't hitting what we need it to be, or the uh, equity growth isn't, or break-even occupancy, or some of the other metrics that we use, uh, then we know we've either gotten to or maybe even crossed over that not to exceed number. And so we do a little, uh, a little interpolation there, and we end up back at, okay, this is the number that makes sense for, uh, for us to use as our not to exceed number. Uh, that's how we do it. If you're investing with us, you'll understand how we got to that to that number. If you're investing with another sponsor, right, someone that does what we do, uh, I would ask them that question. How do you get to the purchase price that you offer? Uh, what's your methodology and thoughts around not to exceed numbers? Uh, and then if you're doing this on your own, as I said, maybe you're buying a duplex, uh, you should have a very similar process where you've got a number going in that this is the number you're not going to exceed. So while what kind of tolerance is there, right? Is it really a not to exceed number? So in the example we just gave, uh, investor wants 10 million. Uh, we'd love to be at nine and a half. Uh, maybe we've done our calculation in 9.825, 9,825,000 is the not to exceed number. What that means for us is when we get to 9,825,000, if we had to go that high, that's the best and final number we can offer. If a seller came back and said, well, can't you do an extra five grand? The answer is no. Now that might seem kind of silly. We're investing almost $10 million. What's five grand? It's, you know, it's not a big number, but it is, and this is a term that, again, maybe I don't, I'm not terribly fond of, but it's a term that I think is an accurate description of it. It's the beginning of the slippery slope, because if you can put an extra five grand in, well, then why not 10? And if you can put in 10, then why not 25? And if you can put it in 25, then why not 100? And the next thing you know, you're at the $10 million number they wanted, which we determined the very beginning was not an acceptable number that was going to work. Um, so you just walk away. When you get to the not to exceed number, if you can't come to an agreement at that point, then you turn around and you walk. That's hard to do. Uh, 
you want to get deals done, right? You, you it's exciting. Uh, you want to get those returns uh, coming. You've vetted this project. You like everything about it. But if you don't like the price, if the price doesn't work for you, then it's not a good deal, and you've got to walk away. I'll give you a great example of why this is important. Uh, a few years back, um, uh, Bill, uh, who is, by the way, Bill Mora is the Mora in Mora polling. Uh, Bill and I were uh, partners in a deal uh, in, um, in one of the Texas markets that we're involved in. And uh, we went through the process. This happened to be a market-based process. And we, uh, uh, our investor group, we got to the not to exceed number as we were going through the negotiation and bidding process. And once we got to that number, we had to bow out and say, sorry, you know, we, we just can't go any higher. And it subsequently was sold to another buyer. Um, good with us, you know, again, we were comfortable that it wasn't going to make sense above our not to exceed number. So we moved on a couple weeks later, uh, we received a phone call from the uh, seller's broker asking if we might still be interested in the property. And the reason was they, uh, that seller had some, uh, second thoughts about the buyer they had selected. And uh, for a number of reasons, we're interested in uh, talking to us and seeing if we might still be interested. And we said, of course, uh, we had given you a not to exceed number that we were comfortable with then. We'll be open to talking about it. We subsequently agreed on a number that was actually lower than our not to exceed number. Uh, the buyer, uh, obviously us, we were happy. We got a, what we believed was a good deal and it has turned out that way. The seller was happy uh, because while sellers obviously would like to sell for the highest price they can, the key word there is sell. Uh, it has to sell and it has to close. And if you can't get a deal closed, it doesn't matter what someone has offered for it. Again, this $10 million example I gave, if, if somebody offered that uh, seller $10.5 million, well, why wouldn't they take it? Well, maybe because they really don't believe that person has the ability to get that deal closed. So. Um, uh, so that ultimately led to us getting a, a favorable transaction there. Uh, there's other deals that we've simply walked away from and they've never uh, come back to us. Both of those are good outcomes as far as we're concerned. The worst thing that can happen is to get emotionally tied up in the purchase of an asset and end up overpaying, which again, going back to the story I shared at the very beginning, is part of the drama they work into these uh, uh, reality TV shows uh, around the house flippers and, uh, and so on. So uh, when you're looking at purchasing an asset, uh, do your homework, uh, get your assumptions together, uh, work on your underwrite. We would encourage a conservative approach uh, much as we take uh, at Mara Polling. Uh, and then calculate not only what your target price is, but what a not to exceed is, and then stick to your guns. Uh, if the numbers and the negotiations get north of there, then turn around and walk away. Uh, you'll find a good deal. Uh, and that's certainly been our experience. When we walk away, there's always a, a good deal out there. It's the one you were looking at simply wasn't the right one. If you have questions about this, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Please stop by the Learning Center, uh, register for some of our upcoming webinars, uh, listen to and watch recordings of prior sessions that we've had. Uh, this is uh, episode 
13 of season two. We have uh, three episodes left this season. Then we'll take a slight break uh, around the holidays before episode, uh, pardon me, before season three starts at the beginning of 2019. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, upgrades that work, um, how to really add value to uh, assets and which upgrades in our experience drive the greatest value uh, and which ones uh, don't necessarily drive value from a rent standpoint, but can drive some value uh, in some other ways relative to your um, to your asset. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, insurance, uh, risk management. Uh, you know, it's it's um, it's been a really challenging year across the country for so many communities, whether it's uh, uh, hurricanes or uh, floods or uh, the terrible wildfires that, uh, that are uh, currently um, ravaging uh, several uh, states. It is, um, it is a daunting uh, situation and our hearts go out to uh, all the folks affected by that. As an investor, one of your questions may be, well, how are, how's my investment dollar protected when those events occur? And so we're gonna talk a little about insurance and uh, some thoughts about that. And then we're going to finish off the season which, uh, with um, Goldilocks debt. Uh, you know, how much debt is too much debt? How much debt is not enough debt to optimize the asset? What's that range that really is the Goldilocks range, uh, in our opinion? And uh, so those are the next three episodes we have uh, coming up. Look for those over the course of the next a couple of weeks. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Uh, yeah, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, um, Alexa, um, uh, Buzzsprout. There are many uh, different ways you can find us. And you can, of course, go to the Learning Center at marapolling.com and uh, and learn more there uh, about the ways you can sign up for uh, for our podcasts. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. And we we'll look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye-bye.